Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I have created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Marriage and divorce, mental health, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics we discuss here. But let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful, am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey everyone, Happy New Year! I think it's safe to say that many of us are happy to change that calendar page to 2021. It doesn't mean all the stuff from 2020 will just magically disappear now that it's a new year, but I know that I'm looking forward to the hope that there is some sense of normalcy that returns to all of our lives. And by that, I don't mean the crazy nonstop busyness that we were experiencing. I hope the occasional slowness does remain. What I miss most and want to have back is the in-person connections with family, friends, and just people in our community. And I don't think I will ever, 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 ever take for granted getting on an airplane and drinking from a half-washed glass in Vegas, ever. Last year, for the first time, I jumped on the bandwagon. What's your word for the year? And I resisted it like I usually do until March when I attended the RISE conference in Toronto. This was right before the world shut down when this pandemic became a part of our lives. It was there that I wrote down the word brave. I chose that word because I knew that I would need to be brave to really do the things that I wanted to do with my life, which involved admitting that I don't like being a professional accountant and that there was something else I was meant to do with this journey of mine. I knew I would need to be brave to really dig deep, to find out what that something else was. I had to be very brave to push the publish button for the first time on this podcast. I'm not kidding when I say that I was in the fetal position after I hit that button, wondering if I did the right thing. And there were moments of doubt for the first month or so. But then I heard from many of you that said, thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for being real and vulnerable. You inspire me. And now I know I will keep doing this for myself and for you. This year, I chose my word again, and it didn't come easy to me. But last night, it was like a thunderbolt hit me right between the eyes. This year, my word is shine. It is my goal for 2021 to get on a real life stage and shine. Good Lord, my pits started dripping just saying that out loud. Oh my gosh. I wish I could say it was to be the singer that I've always thought I was, but no, the real reason why I want to be on a stage 
is that I know I have a story to tell that can inspire more people to use their voice. By sharing my hard, beautiful journey and using my voice, it has ignited my soul. And that can happen for everyone. There is healing in sharing your story. There is healing in using your voice. I know this as truth because not only has it happened for me, it has happened for so many amazing people I have now met because I chose to use my voice for good. You can too, and I'd love to cheer you on. Now, on to the episode for this first day of 2021. I chose this one to air on January 1st very, very intentionally because the message in this episode is love. My friend Allison joined me to discuss her hard, beautiful journey, and every time I hear her tell it, I am in awe of her spirit. I met Allison in the business group I was part of, and I was drawn to her by some unexplained force. And you will find out what that ended up being in this episode. And it's so incredibly beautiful. I am warning you now, go get a warm, cozy blanket, your favorite beverage, and a box of Kleenex will definitely come in handy. And I found a quote that sums up this interview to a T. My love for you is a journey starting at forever and ending at never. And now... Let's hear from my beautiful, beautiful friend, Allison. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm doing well, Tiffany. I'm so glad to meet with you this way. I know. We've met quite a few different ways over the past Mm -hmm. few months. Uh, Like I said in my introduction, I met Allison through the business course that I was in, uh, Made to Do This with Kathy Heller. And you weren't in my pod, but you were in a few of the groups that formed yes. throughout and right. um, and then afterwards as well. And there was one, one particular breakout group that we had where you spoke about your journey and I was moved to tears <laughs> many times throughout your um, your conversation with our group. And so that is why I I wanted you on my podcast for sure was, was just to hear about what you have gone through and what you are doing now um, with that journey, because it's very inspiring. And it, it definitely shows uh, just the, the deepness of what love can be, right? Oh, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, love is the only thing that keeps me going. It's the only reason I'm still here, honestly, with um, any of my sanity intact and my <laughs> heart still open. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Allison, um, I see on your website that you are also known as the goddess of grief. And so, how about we start? Let's start at the beginning when a handsome gentleman saw you down the street yeah um oh and I want to add to that it's the goddess of grief and also the goddess of love and the goddess of those love, two yes. monikers yes. so um so yes oh true <laughs> I'd um let's see it was back it seems 10 million years ago now but uh I had divorced my first husband after an abusive alcoholic marriage and I had three very small children. My youngest was just uh, just shy of a year old. 
when I divorced him and I moved from Massachusetts where we had been living for many years down to New Jersey to live with my mom who opened her home to me um, to help me get back on my feet. And um, there is, I don't know when I was outside one day in the front yard and I saw this guy down the street getting in his car, um, clearly going to work and he was wearing his dress blues and I'm an army brat. And so I grew up in the military world and I recognized immediately that he was Air Force. And uh, I mean, it, it, he caught my eye. And honestly, um, I just about fainted dead away on the on the street because <laughs> I, I, even from a distance, he just was so handsome. Mm-hmm. And um, a few, I, I don't know, was it weeks or a few months later, I guess, um, there's a knock at my mom's door, front door. I had been reading a book and I had these ugly brown frame glasses on their military issue ugly glasses of course yeah right and uh and I had been reading a book and so I opened the door um to see who it was and and there's this guy the one I'd seen down the street only this time he was wearing um his BDUs the battle dress fatigues Mm -hmm. and um I had not expected to see him there at my mom's door and he just had the he had this most beautiful mustache and his, had this beautiful smile on his face. And um, he was there to ask me to, if I was uh, was able to take care of his little girl um, after school. And because um, he'd seen me down the street with my three kids. And so that's how we met. That ended up being um, Chuck. And we there's a long process he was at the end of a bad marriage and I, I was already divorced and we just became friends and started chatting mm-hmm. and he you know I was very open with him at that time I was going I had started going to AA um, I had gone to learn about my mom's alcoholism and my husband's out al- my ex-husband's alcoholism and uh, the longer I went to AA and it didn't take me long um, I started realizing, wait a minute, I think I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I started talking to Chuck about that, and he started talking to me about his background. And um, and I invited him to go to, at that time, it was adult children of alcoholic meetings because we were both children of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And then one day I asked him if he'd like to go to an AA meeting with me because he had talked about his own drinking. And uh, we started AA together. And so how that ended up being was that we, um, in addition to ultimately getting married and having our um, wedding anniversary, we shared our uh, sober anniversary. Oh, wow. And uh, we celebrated that day just as strongly because if he and I had not each gotten sober and done the counseling thing and all of that, then we wouldn't have been able to be together and have a beautiful life together. Mm-hmm. So our sober anniversary was just as important as our wedding anniversary in the years to come. I love that. So um, you started going to AA together, and how how did it progress from there? What happened? Oh, man, this has taken me back so far, because um, this would have been in the late 80s. Um, we... We just we we just spoke so easily together. We talked about everything. We just started talking mm-hmm. as friends, and um, we started walking. Our uh, my daughter was going to school, and I walked right past his house, and um, so he'd be walking his daughter to school, and 
So we started walking together and then walking back and talking more. And there came a day, I don't know, maybe a couple of months later, when I was walking past his house one day on the way back from dropping my daughter off. And he was at his car and it was a little hatchback and he called me over because uh, he wanted me to look at something. And I went over and, and the back was filled with grocery bags, paper grocery bags, which also takes us back in time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he said, these are for you. And I said, well, you know, I like where they come from. And he knew I was a single parent. You know, I had three small children, no support from my ex-husband. And uh, so he'd gone into work and he told everybody about me in his office. And he said, let's just, let's be generous. Turn your pockets out and let's be generous. And he collected all this money. Wow. And he went to the commissary and he bought probably a couple hundred dollars worth of groceries that I had not seen in a couple of years as mm -hmm. a single parent. And in addition, he went to the exchange and he bought a card and he put the rest of the money in the card and he had everybody at work sign the, sign the card and, um, and he gave it all to me. And that was the day I started realizing that this wasn't just some nice guy. I mean, like this was a guy with some heart and with some soul. Yeah. And I'd, I'd come out of my first marriage and, and the alcoholism and the abuse with um, so much anger um, not only at my ex-husband, but at myself for putting up with what I put up with all those years, because I never saw myself as somebody who would be willing to live in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a lot of anger uh, at, at men. And then that, you know, I started looking at him and I thought, here's somebody of substance, mm -hmm. which just took our talking to an even deeper level. And then probably months and months after that, I don't even remember the exact time frame, uh, within the year anyway. So um, I woke up one day and I thought, shit, I'm in love with him. <laughs> and yeah. that posed a problem because he was still in his marriage. Oh, yeah. He had yeah. gone through the process to end it. He was still he was trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I also wasn't the kind of woman to to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I knew he was in counseling. I knew he was going to AA and, um, and so I, I, we talked about it and, you know, we realized, okay, this can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and I stayed with that for a while, but in counseling, I was learning how to really speak up and be honest about things. And so one day I went over there and, um, I was very matter of fact about it. I went over to his house and I, I said, I just need to tell you something. You don't have to do anything with it. I expect nothing from you. I just have to tell you, I'm in love with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, okay, you know, just needed to tell you that. And now I need to get back to my boys. Yeah. And, uh, and I headed to the door to leave. And he came after me and he said, um, you don't think I'm going to let you just say something like that and then leave. And I turned around. And he just had, I just remember he had his hand on the one side of the wall next to me and he just leaned in and kissed me and I just melted right down the wall. Mm -hmm. And um, I have goosebumps. It, <laughs> it was, I had never, I had never felt, I had never had such a, a feeling all throughout my body as when he kissed me. Mm -hmm. And there was an awful lot to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, 
there there's a lot of judgment that comes uh towards people who have affairs and um and i what i learned from that was that you know what you need to look at the whole picture and um and i'm it's not about making excuses it's what I've come to realize and then with the marriage that he and I had together was that there's so many circumstances and nothing is ever black and white. Mm -hmm. It's always gray. Mm -hmm. So it did, it took a lot, it took not a long time. It took months mm -hmm. and, you know, inside of a year for him to um, continue going to counseling and figure out how to, um, how to take the next step of ending that marriage and after that, I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be a rebound. So we didn't live together. And I said, go out and date, you know, um, figure out you. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to date, but he did live on his own. And uh, it took a little while for us to get together. And when we did, though, um, we just, we had the strongest marriage in the world. We mm -hmm. really it was this incredible, passionate marriage. It was everything that most people dream about, but then they're never able to attain. Mm -hmm. um, it was almost like that was an aberrant part of our of what happened in our lives for how we started, mm -hmm. because that wasn't who we are. We're, we were actually very loyal, um, faithful people, mm -hmm. and uh, but bad marriages, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I always. Um, I always thought he was a catalyst in my life and um, I was a catalyst in his life. He had never quite realized that marriage could really be a good and strong and passionate and, and living thing as opposed to just eh, we're kind of neutral and we're just kind of going along in life and not really noticing anything about anything. Right. Um, so with it being a second marriage for the two of us and we had a, we had, a, he wore his dress blues for our wedding and, um, he he did tell me, you know, if you want, I can arrange a flyover of the what? Three, you know, arrange a flyover of three one forty ones, which were the planes that he worked on at the base at McGuire Air Force Base, and um, I thought that was me. Now I'd say differently, but at the time I thought ah, that's a little too, probably a little too much. So I said no, and now I'd give my right arm. Mm -hmm. But he wore his dress blues, and oh wow. We never had a honeymoon because we came home from our wedding with um, my three kids and his one. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, uh, not literally, but figuratively put a, uh, an apron on over my, uh, my wedding dress and cooked supper for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how was the um, merging of the children, the two families? It was hard and impossible and stressful. And um, I can't say that it ever really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, you're bringing so many personalities. I didn't have my ex-husband in my life to interfere or, or, you know, be a part of, but the lack of child support from him and then his ex-wife, um, her, her, his daughter lived with his ex-wife. And so that brought a lot of difficulties because how we were raising my children who became his was different from how. Uh, his ex was raising his daughter. Mm -hmm. And so that made for difficulties. I would, I read every book I could about blending families. I went to the library and started in the A stack and finished with a Z stack. Mm -hmm. every, and, and I still could never figure it out. What was the right way to do this? And um, so I probably, if I have to look back at my life, 
blending our families was unfortunately one of the things that did not work really well. It wasn't for lack of love. It was just um, there were so many components, mm-hmm. you know, and so many gears that we were trying to line up and, and get fit to get that never really quite fit. Yeah. But Chuck, um, he became my kid's dad um, because my ex was not in their lives at all through his own choice. And my kids were small. And I remember our daughter, my daughter coming to me, who was six or seven at the time. And she said, Mom, what should we call Chuck? You know, should we call him Dad? Should we call him Chuck? You know, what? And um, I remember saying to her, you know, whatever you guys are comfortable with, I'm comfortable with that. And so is he. Because I said, really, the bottom line of what matters in life is that you have as you and your brothers have as many people in your life to love you as possible. And it doesn't matter what their label is or their name or anything else. So they did ultimately choose to um, start calling him dad. And um, and Chuck took, took all of that on and he supported them emotionally and financially. And I mean, he was, he was their dad in every, in every sense of the word. And um, to the point that when at his memorial service um, after he died, most people were, they had no idea that they weren't children of his own blood. Mm-hmm. Because he treated them that way and they never treated him as if he was a stepdad. Yeah. So, um, so after you guys got married and you lived your life and then there was a point where you got on the road and you retired and you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, Chuck, had been active duty military. Um, he spent the first part of our relationship deploying, you know, it was during the first Gulf War and um, the Falkland Islands and all, all the different things that there were had going on in the 90s. Um, eventually, he retired from active duty and went civil service. And uh, he'd put in 11 years in civil service. And I was working, um, I'd started a nonprofit in New Jersey, um, supporting women who are grieving their moms. Um, I had worked in hospice, and then I went out and started my own nonprofit. Um, and after 11 years, uh, and morale was just so bad where Chuck was. Um, it was just really bad. And Chuck was a Buddhist, and so uh, he was, you know, he knew how to zen out. Mm-hmm. But he would come home every day, and he would be so massively stressed that uh, from being in the position that he was in that I honestly, I expected him to have a heart attack at any time. And one day he uh, emailed me and he said, you know, I could retire in three weeks if I want. What do you think? And we talked in, at different times, just kind of, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just go out on the road and, you know, travel and do this and that and just be with each other and not have all our, our rat race stuff to contend with. So when he sent me that email, um, I just emailed him back right away. And I said, look, if you have terminal leave, come home today. And let's put the house on the market and then, and let's go. And our, we sold our house right at um, right before the crash of 2009 happened. Mm-hmm. So we got in uh, and we had a bidding war. And the way we ended up choosing, because the people came in with the same amount of money, the way we ended up choosing was, okay, who's, who's going to be able to move in first because we just want to get out. Right. Um, so we sold everything we could. We kept a few things to put in storage for whenever we settled down again. And, uh, but two months later we were on the road and originally we were what I called state shopping. I, 
you know, just looking where, what town, what state, what weather, all of the different um, qualifiers. But about three months in, Chuck just looked at me and he, he just reached over and he put a hand on my knee and he said, you know, we're having such a good time. Why do we want to stop doing this? And I said, you're right. I don't. I love this. I love all this. We have 24 hours a day together. We're sitting a foot across from one another. We're adventuring and exploring. We're seeing our country. Let's just keep going. And so we did. We just kept going. That is amazing. And so how long did you actually keep going? We had just shy of four years on the road. Uh, And in that time, we uh, went to all of the lower 48 states. We had a national park pass. And uh, so we visited a lot. We were both history nerds. uh, And so we visited a lot of the national parks and state parks and kind of followed how our history, how our country was built way back when. That is um, so cool that you did that. Oh, I know. And we, we just loved it. And we, we would drive and Chuck was um, in the military. One of his uh, job titles had been uh, as a long range planner. So he loved uh, um, doing all the mapping and routing for us. And well, he didn't die that long ago, but in the time since he died, it is so much easier because there's apps and everything on the smartphone. And we had, we had what we called stupid phones. They did nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> he'd drag out the Atlas at nighttime and then he would call and make reservations. And um, my one big job was uh, I had a, a link on my laptop. And so right before he'd make a reservation at a hotel or a lodging, well, more it was at a hotel. Um, I had a link for um, checking out the bed bug rate. And, <laughs> really yeah so I would look that up and say oh no it's good there it's good there there's no reports and uh, because we weren't staying at five-star hotels yeah when we went out on the road and there's a couple of times Chuck said to me hey what do you think maybe we should buy a trailer or an RV and I said I really don't think so I mean I'm no diva but I want four solid walls around me when I go (laughs) and uh, so we stayed at military lodging oftentimes, uh, which was more for me because I loved it rather than Chuck, who had spent his life on military bases. Mm -hmm. Um, But we stayed at a lot of military bases and lodging. And then we'd stay at uh, inexpensive hotels along the way. And Chuck would always make those reservations for us. And he'd plan generally about two weeks ahead of um, uh, two weeks in advance. And uh, we just did a lot of exploring and adventuring and learning more about our history from the the park rangers at the national parks um, and had the time of our lives and we talked about our relationship and relationships in general and how we could make ours grow even stronger and we already had a very strong marriage because not for one minute did we take each other for granted um, i i see a lot in the um in the widow community there's people who will say, well, you know, when somebody dies, you know, you learn how much, you know, you, you get stronger and you learn how much more you could have given and to that person in life and all this. And it's like, no, nah, none of that. I gave everything I was to Chuck. Mm-hmm. He gave everything he was to me. Mm-hmm. And we, ours was a very, um, very active relationship, you know, we didn't let things rest. And and I'm not saying it was perfect. Of course, we had fights. I mean, we tried to, re- we, you know, we did our best with doing the blended family and 
he was active duty and then he was, you know, and then, and there was 9-11 and, you know, and, and we had, we suffered a lot of deaths in, um, within one year, we had um, nine deaths of close family members. There's a lot of stress going on and money and blah, you know, all of it. So we had all the real stuff. The thing is, is that even with all of that, we did not lose sight of the fact that he and I were the most important components in our family because if we did not have a strong marriage, then our children didn't have parents. Mm-hmm. And we wanted them to have as intact a family as possible, given that, you know, both um, his daughter and my children came from uh, divorced families. Mm-hmm. And so we modeled in as healthy a way as we could what a healthy, loving relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our kids... You know, in, in the, uh, these years since Chuck died, they'll tell me, oh, I remember you and Pop, you know, dancing in the kitchen or, you know, just dancing in the living room, you know, music was on. And, and I remember you and Pop kissing. And, you know, when they were younger, they'd say, oh, my God, they groan. And say, oh, my God. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the thing. They, they saw what a healthy, loving relationship looks like. They saw us going to AA to maintain our sobriety and our honesty with ourselves mm-hmm. and with each other. We And I know that a lot of people say, well, you have to work at a relationship. I don't consider it work. I do say Chuck and I paid attention to, we nurtured our marriage, we nurtured each other, we cherished each other, mm-hmm. and we cherished our relationship. And I didn't consider that work. I am loving this conversation, but first a word from my sponsor. In my podcast, you've probably heard me refer to finding your person. I believe in the importance of having someone to connect with, such as a therapist or a counselor, a person who can objectively support you on this crazy journey of life. The team at Simply Counseling Services can help you find that person. They focus on keeping things simple on the path to your healing. They offer locations in both North and South Calgary for in-person appointments as well as virtual sessions. Take the first steps on your path to healing by setting up an appointment. Visit their website at simplycounselingservices.com to learn more. So you were out on on the road and that's when you got the news? Was that when it happened? Well, uh, we'd been on the road for about a year and a half. And um, a friend of mine, we were out in Oregon at a lovely little um, uh, Airbnb. And I got news that a dear friend of mine in uh, New Jersey, um, I'd known she had cancer and I had made plans that, uh, and Chuck and I had made plans that we were going to travel back to Jersey so that I could see her. And we figured it would take about three weeks and we'd made reservations and all that. Well, I got a phone call that um, from a mutual friend that if I wanted to see her, I needed to come now. And um, I got on a plane the next morning and left Chuck in Oregon so that he could drive out to New Jersey with our car and everything. And while I was en route uh, in the plane, um, my friend died. And so then Chuck took um, the few weeks to get back to New Jersey. Well, when he got back to his to our uh, rental after dropping me off at the airport, uh, he noticed a tiny little bump underneath the skin of his left, the inside of his left wrist, and um, didn't know. Just paid attention to it, didn't know what to think of it. By the time he got back to New Jersey, it had grown probably to um, an inch high, 
and it was a tumor, and he'd already made an appointment with uh, our primary doctor there in New Jersey that we still had. Mm-hmm. And the primary doctor took one look and said, I'm not going to touch that. You need to go to a hand surgeon. And the hand surgeon, when Chuck went in, um, the hand surgeon looked at it and said, I need to send you uh, to a doctor in Philly to handle this. And by the time we got into the doctor in Philly, the surgeon who specialized in this particular form of cancer um, of the extremities, mm-hmm. um, he took one look at it and he said, we need to get you signed up for radiation immediately. There's no time to waste. And um, the kind of thinking that I employ is called disaster thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when the surgeon said, you need to run, not walk next door to get fitted for starting radiation tomorrow, I immediately said, is this going to kill him? Mm-hmm. And I'd already had two of my, my mom and my brother had both already just died of cancer um, just a few years previously. And uh, and the doctor kind of looked at me and Chuck just looked at the doc, me and then looked at the doctor and said, you know what, you got to understand Allison, doctor. Um, she's already got me dead and buried in the grave. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I go to the edge of the cliff and I hang my toes over. And then as the news gets better, I come back away from the cliff. I find that that works better for me yeah. than waiting for the next bad news, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so it was can- that was his first cancer. And it was, an, um, it was horrific. And it took, um, we thought that uh, we might have to have his arm amputated. Fortunately, the surgeon, Dr. Lackland, uh, specialized in treating that form of cancer, uh, but it took uh, massive, massive radiation um, two different times, and it took uh, six different surgeries, one to remove the tumor, and then the rest for uh, cosmetic surgery to repair it. Wow. And so in between each of those surgeries, as soon as Chuck was able to as soon as he was at all a little bit okay, we would jump right back in the car and go back out on the road again. Mm-hmm. And the favorite thing that we did was he'd have his appointment. He'd schedule it for maybe 8 o'clock, 8.15 in the morning over in Philly. I would drive. And we'd have the car all packed up to go. I'd be waiting in the car while he had his appointment. And he'd come back out and get in the car and we'd head west. Mm-hmm. And we loved getting to uh, to Kansas. and we would open the sunroof and we would turn on Willie Nelson on the road again. And we'd think, okay, for the next three months, we don't have to think about this cancer at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went through all of that. And uh, we did what I called the dad's going to be okay tour so that we could visit each of the kids yeah. and uh, let them see that he was okay. Cause they hadn't seen him during his first cancer. And we did all that, and we were down in Florida and out exercise walking one day, and he said, you know, I don't want to go for any more checkups for any more um, CAT scans. I'm done with all of that. They gave us really good odds, and I just want to go with it. Let's just go and live life. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be okay. And uh, I said, okay, let's, let's go with it. And um, a year later, he started getting sick, and... We thought that it was, uh, he had gotten so much uh, re- radiation that it had just killed his immune system. And we thought that it was something coming from that. And we thought maybe it was kidney stones because he'd had those because he had a, a, along his belt line, he had some pain. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of kept going as best we could. But we reached California. And um, there was one day we got to, uh, we were at the Marine base in um, 
Southern Cal, and uh, and he was going to go in and uh, confirm our registration and get us signed in and all of that. And I remember he got out of the car to go in. We were under a little over a little roof overhang, and he he had to step over to the side of the bushes, and he just started vomiting because um, the pain was so intense. Mm-hmm. He never went anywhere when we were there for the three days. And we continued down. We had a three-month rental in um, Cathedral City uh, outside um, Palm Springs, California. And we got there, and um, we'd been there. We had a three. We had rented it for three months. And I knew I had already started talking to him. Do you think we need to stop traveling and take care of this, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And um, and so we thought he had made reservations uh, for Arizona after this. So we thought, okay, well, we'll stop in Arizona and do what we need to. And I'd asked him twice along the way, do you think the cancer has come back? And he said, no, no, I'm, no, it's good. It's not the cancer. And then one morning, our um, beginning of March, we'd gotten there in uh, February and uh, in California. And then uh, one morning in March, he woke up and he'd had to sleep sitting up for, um, for probably the past month and a half because it was too painful to lie down. And I'd put pillows all around him to help support his body. And... Uh, he woke up that one morning, about five or so, and I went out to, you know, see what he needed and, you know, get, get the day started. And he said, you need to take me to the hospital. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. He had, Chuck had this massive pain threshold that I was always in awe of. And uh, so I knew that if he was saying this is too painful, that it was really bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember packing him into the car and they admitted him right away at Eisenhower Medical Center. And uh, um, that night, well, it was, I get, so they did some testing on him, CAT scans, and the doctor came back and said, um, there's a huge mass in his lungs. And I'm always leery, you know, because I, I thought, okay, I'm hearing you say mass, but I'm expect, I think what you're saying is tumor and you don't want to say it. And, um, and I knew that that's, I knew that it was cancer and it it had it collapsed. It had already taken over one of his lungs and then collapsed the other um, two thirds of his other lung, and um, it had uh, snapped a rib. The tumor had snapped a rib. Wow! So and uh, so I remember even while he was, um, I stepped out of the room to start calling the kids and say, "You need to come now," because I knew this this was going to be it. And. Uh, and I remember calling a friend saying, I'm going to be a widow. And it's the first time I ever used that word. But here's the thing about Chuck. And one of the things that made me love him so deeply, in the midst of all of this that was going on, and he was lying there in the bed and going in and out for tests and poked and prodded, and he was in so much pain and they couldn't give him any medication yet. The nurse came in at one point and he he said to her, look, um, can you get my wife something to eat and drink? She hasn't had anything all day long. Oh. And um, so they admitted him to the hospital, and I I stayed with him, of course. And uh, I was taking a break, and I went out of the room to the nurse's station. I saw the nurse who had been uh, there when we were admitted. And I knew this particular nurse had uh, 40 years uh, of nursing under his belt, in, uh, you know, with uh, cancer. And I said, look, um, we know it's cancer. Um, what do you think? What, what, what are we looking at time-wise? 
And I said, please just be honest with me. I've worked in hospice. I've been around dying people. I just need somebody to tell me the fucking truth. Yep. Don't lie to me. And the nurse said, I think he probably has about three weeks. Wow. And I oh went back goodness. in that room with Chuck and I, the whole night he was, you know, it's, it's cancer. It was in his lungs. It was just everywhere. And, um, and I, his breathing sounded like he was dying constantly. So, um, my da- our daughter, uh, my daughter got there the next day, and then the other kids started getting there, and his daughter got there. And um, uh, after a week, Chuck and I found more tumors is what happened. The doctor had been in to visit, and um, Chuck found more tumors. And I went running to get the doctor who had left the room, and I said, you need to come back and look at him. And um, she confirmed, I mean, there was tumors everywhere. And, uh, I remember talking to the social worker who had been assigned to us that night. And um, I said, I know that this is what's happening. I know he's going to die. And I said, I, I think we need to call in hospice, but um, I don't know how to tell Chuck that because I don't want him to think that I'm, that I'm giving up. And the social worker said, you're the one that has to tell him. I, I know it's hard, but it's, you're it. You know, yeah. You're his wife. And I went in and I sat down with Chuck and I said, look, you know, um, if you want to fight this, I have your back. I will go to bat for you. I'll make sure everything gets done. I will get out there and kick butt and take names and we will get it done. But I don't think we have time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we need to call in hospice. Yeah. And that was the hardest, most impossible conversation I ever had with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember him looking down and then he looked up at me and he said, okay, let's call them. And, uh, and I said, I will make sure that they're, that you're not in any pain, that we manage the pain. And, uh, he held up his, uh, his pinky finger and he said, I, I trust you. I said, let's do this. And, uh, we did a pinky swear, which we've never done before. So he had three weeks in hospice and then he died. But before he died, um, I told him, I'm going to continue traveling. We didn't have a house for me to return to. I didn't want to go live with my kids. I was only 55. I'm not, they were all getting their lives together. You know, I need to figure this out on my own. And um, so I told him I was going to continue traveling. And I said, I'm going to paint my car pink so that you can find me out there on the road. And he looked at me with this little smile on his face, and he said, well, I'll be looking for you. Uh, Another one of our conversations, um, he said, uh, you know, black isn't your color. Don't want to be in black. He said, wear pink. Yeah. These little conversations, it took me a long time to realize after he died, but what he was doing was that he was starting me out on my odyssey of love. One of our other conversations, I told him, you know, we we were just kind of reminiscing about all of our travels in the almost four years we'd had um, doing that. And and I said, well, you know, we started naming our favorite places and there was four particular ones. And I said, well, I'll return to those places and I'll scatter your Koreans there. And, um, And so he died and we washed him and we bathed him and we anointed him with oils and I dressed him in street clothes because he hated those hospital gowns and 
Then we wrapped them in beautiful blankets and sewed them together. And um, the hospice called the mortuary for us and they came to get him. But before they came in the room, I went out there and I, I said, you know, I need you to know who this man is and what he has been to me and so many other people. And I said, he's a retired master sergeant and he served honorably for over 20 years. And I know you will treat him with the respect that he deserves. And I didn't want him to go into a body bag just as was. So that's why we wrapped him in beautiful blankets. But I helped him. I helped them to lift his body onto the gurney. And uh, I went a week later when they uh, cremated him. And I covered, I opened the box that he was in and I covered him with uh, 30 bouquets of flowers that I bought of all colorful flowers and the colors he loved. And then um, I pressed the switch to open the doors to admit his body to the, to the crematorium. And a week later, I went and I picked up his urn, and uh, which still travels with me. It's, it's in the same plain black box, but I decoupaged pictures of Chuck all over it. Yeah. With his life. Yeah. And I set out on what became my odyssey of love with his urn riding shotgun. I, I went back to New Jersey to give him full military honors off, out of McGuire Air Force Base mm-hmm. and uh, had a bagpiper play Amazing Grace as he asked. And he had a 21-gun salute, and they presented me with the flag. In that moment, when they, when I saw the uh, honor guard captain, you know, they folded the flag, and then they gave it to the captain. And I was just watching intently, and it's like, okay, this moment is going to happen. He's going to turn towards me in a minute. And, uh, and he turned towards me and started walking towards me, and then, you know, came over and said what they do, you know, presenting this flag. And the name of the United States and all that. And I remember as I saw him walking over towards me, I locked my knees because I, I just said, started saying to myself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And um, my knees are still stiff to this day. It took me a long time to, I, I still have to remind myself to unlock my knees. Yeah. Um, but I didn't fall down. And and I set out on my odyssey of love. I, I bought a new car. And I painted it pink. I, I had a guy create the color for me. I explained our love story. And I said, I need you to create a beautiful shade of pink because this is what my husband said to me. And I need him to be able to see me out on the road. And so when I went to pick up the car, he gave me that can of paint. And he named the color for me. And the color is named Chuck's Watching Over Me Pink. And oh. he said, That's to give you courage to return to the road on your own, Alice. And Chuck will be around you everywhere now. And so when I bought my trailer a few months later, I, um, all of the trim was bright yellow and I gave him the can of paint and I said, everything that's yellow, paint it pink. Yeah. What I knew was grief is isolating. I knew nobody out on the road. I was terrified. I didn't know how to do any of this. I was, for God's sake, buying a trailer, which I'd never done before. <laughs> I'd never camped before. And, uh, yeah, you had yeah. always stayed in other places. Yes. <laughs> I wanted four solid walls around me. Thank you very much. Yeah. And here Chuck would have been laughing his ass off. He totally was. <laughs> and so um, I I bought, I, you know, I had them painted in that color. I knew that if I was going to do this, I needed um, I needed at least the, that that outside representation to draw people to me because I was so terrified and horrified and devastated inside. I thought 
I need to draw people to me so that I don't isolate myself because what I wanted to do was hide under the covers and never come out again. How do I live life without Chuck? How do I do any of this? I can't even breathe. Yeah. You know, it's the most devastating thing I've ever, I felt displaced and just everything. And, um, but if I paint all of this pink, as I told him I was going to do, and I just start driving because I don't know where I'm driving, but I guess I'll start or go to those places where I told him I'd, I'd scatter his cremains. If I do that, then people will notice my rig and they'll come over and they'll talk to me and then I won't isolate. And telling your story is a huge part of any part of life, but certainly in grief when some, anytime anything huge has happened to you. And our culture likes to silence people when yeah. it comes to telling their stories. I knew for my heart's sake, for my sanity's sake, I could not do that. I'd promised Chuck I was going to paint my car pink and I would go scatter his cremains. And by God, I was going to do that. And so I did that. And I also realized along the way that not only was it so that I wouldn't isolate, I started writing. We already had a, a Facebook page to let family and friends know how we were traveling and what we were doing and all that. And I remember the day that I wrote in there from now on, you know, like Chuck is in the hospital, probably going to hospice from now on, we're going to do updates on this page. And then after he died, I thought I'm going to use this page to start talking about all of this. I'm going to start writing about it because I've always loved to write. And maybe if I post something every day, maybe if a day comes that I don't post something and people are accustomed to me posting maybe somebody will reach out and say, are you still there? Yeah. Because I felt like I had disappeared mm -hmm. um, because I, I recognized nothing. Not only did I not recognize what was external, I recognized nothing internal except the meat slicer that was in my chest that was um, chewing me to pieces. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I started writing so much about it. And uh, in life, I spoke openly about my love for Chuck to him and to others. I, I didn't hide it. I didn't make fun of it. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm in love with him. It's like, I love this man. I adore this man. And he spoke the same way about me. Yeah. So why would I hide that just because he was dead now? Exactly. So about the, my love for him. And I also talked about the grief and what it was like living without him and how impossibly unbearable it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. So this whole time, um, Allison can see me because we're on Zoom. <laughs> Unbelievably touching. Um, I'm just bawling over here. <laughs> Your story just, oh my goodness. So you have been out on the road and with your pink rig that I know he's watching you every single day, all day. What has been the reaction from people? You know, what's really fascinating is that, um, so here's what I get from a lot of, uh, I stay at a lot of fam camps, which are military uh, family camps, uh, RV sites and stuff like campsites. And a lot of times from men who are veterans, um, who are staying there with their, you know, whether they're alone or with their wives and, and, and children, from men, oftentimes, I will get a high five, I'll get a hug, and I have oftentimes heard from men, I, after they've heard my story, I wish my wife loved me as you loved your husband. Mm -hmm. I wish my, I, you know, I know my wife would never do anything like this after I die. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot of responses from, especially earlier on, uh, I got a lot of people saying how brave you are and I don't know how you do this and I could never do that. And, and it's like, I can't do this either. And I had a hard time with people calling me brave because I didn't feel like brave until I finally read somewhere a quote that I had always known, but I'd forgotten about John Wayne saying that brave is um, being afraid and saddling up anyways. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I found, um, I just, I found people along the way who I started connecting with, you know, uh, I had my website on the back of my rig. And so I would be parked somewhere and I didn't know, shoot, I was terrified of backing up. That's everybody's fear, right? <laughs> But like, how do I back up? And what if I get caught? And like, there's no way to turn around. How am I going to back up? And and now I can not only back up, I can, I've done a K-turn in the road and all this other stuff, um, which would also, like Chuck would be so proud, but he would also be laughing his ass off again. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, but I got comfortable with not knowing what I was doing. Like, I'm not afraid to say, I have no clue. In fact, I'm very open about I have no freaking clue. And so when I was like pulling into a campsite, I'd say to people, because everyone always stands around to watch the newbie, because you can tell who they of are. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and so that would I'd, be me. <laughs> so I would just lean out the way, I'd roll the window down, lean out. I'd say, you know what? I'm new to this. Why don't you grab your lawn chair, grab something cool to drink, sit down and watch the show, because it's going to happen. Because even if I know how to do this, if someone's watching me, I'm going to forget how to do it. And yeah. it's going to be awkward. So I start. I people were, they were, um, they embraced me. They embraced me. I was down in Sigsby uh, Navy Air Station in Key West early on, and like I say, I had my website on the back of my rig because um, I'd already gotten a website because I thought, okay, I need to start blogging about this. And um, there's a knock at the door one day, and I opened it. I mean, my trailer is like. 16 feet long so when I say a knock on the door it's like you know it's a little hobbit door but anyways um I opened it and there's this older guy standing out there clearly a veteran and um I said hi and he said so I just wanted to talk to you about your post-traumatic stress and I said what post-traumatic stress I said I'm he said well I you know I know you're a widow I read a little bit of your blog and um about about your husband's death and what it was like you know going through it and all that and he said "I, I just I thought I'd ask you how you're handling all the all the post-traumatic stress. And I said, well, look, I expected him to die. We anticipated it. We knew it was going to happen. Um, so, and I don't have any post-traumatic stress. I mean, I've grieved, but, and he said, look, you know, when I was in Vietnam, I, um, I knew my buddies around me were going to die too. But when they died, it was traumatic and I have post-traumatic stress. And he said, I'm wondering about yours. And, uh, he sat down. I always keep a couple of chairs, pink chairs, outside of my rig to invite people to stop and chat. And we we sat down and chatted for maybe three hours. And he talked to me about what post-traumatic stress is. And uh, that led me a few years later to go and seek some therapy about it finally mm-hmm. and get some uh, bilateral brain stimulation and, and some tapping and you know some real things to help with it, to help support uh, going through it. But I, I created a community for myself and people all around the country reached out to me. I also, I was reaching out to them, whether it be in person or in Facebook camping groups, 
um, because I didn't know what I, I didn't know how to camp. Towing a trailer, like how I was terrified of stopping. What if I go under a bridge or it's like, and, and I'm too hot. My rig is too high and I get stuck under there. Yep. And, and so I remember go as I traveled down to Key West and, and going, I was going to be going through the Baltimore tunnel, but I saw a sign that said um, no more than 10 gallons of propane. And I didn't remember how much propane I had in my tank. And so I almost stopped in the middle of the road to panic. <laughs> I just thought, you know what, if I, if I get stopped for it, I guess I'll just, I'll, I mean, I'm ignorant. I have no idea. And I'll just cry. <laughs> and um, and I got through it. And I, I sometimes I stopped, at, you know, as I saw that um, an overpass was coming up and I'd quickly be Googling how, how tall was my rig so I could go under it safely. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. All but of it. People reached out to me. Yeah. And I reached out to people and I, on, on camping groups for tab trailers, uh, Glampers on the Loose is one of my favorites. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I love them. Uh, Sisters on the Fly were the first people who inspired me to to get a trailer and to think, okay, I need a home on the road. I don't want to do it the way that Chuck and I did it. I, emotionally, I can't bear it. So I need to have a home to go to every night. Mm-hmm. If that's a trailer. Then I'll just figure out what that consists of. Yeah. And, um, and I created a community for myself by being vulnerable. We so often in our culture also, there is such a reluctance to make people uncomfortable by talking about our grief. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Yes, there's sadness. And, and I, I've had people say, oh, just your sadness, you know, it's just so sad, you know, your husband and all this. And I said, yes, there's sadness. But guess what? That sadness, what container that's in, that's in this massive amount of love. Massive. This is truly nothing but love. And so I'm going to keep talking about it because the grief is love is grief is love. Yeah. And I'm on this odyssey of love, connecting and creating community. And I've done that. I have people all around. I have this massive community around the country and on my Happily Homeless Facebook page and people who weirdly, because I don't feel strong at all, really, they look to me for for inspiration. And it's like, well, if you can do this, Allison, then I can at least get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's responsibility I bear with. I I hold it to myself and I I take... um, I have to show up for this. Mm-hmm. In AA, we are taught to suit up and show up. And Chuck used to all the time say that to the people that he sponsored. You just suit up and show up and let the day unfold. You do your part. Mm-hmm. Well, my part, even in the midst of everything that was going on emotionally with me, was I need to suit up and show up with love and for love because Chuck left so much behind for me. And so... Initially, my odyssey of love was about my love for Chuck and his left behind love for me. And then about the third year, in fact, you know what, today, because I, I saw this come up in my Facebook memories where I did a video or a live feed. This is the day when I decide I don't know, in whatever year it was, 2015 or 16, when I decided, okay, I'm, I'd been thinking about how do I, I want to further decorate my tra- the outside of my trailer, what do I do? And I decided to start people asking people for the names of their loved ones. And I would write it on my trailer and my trailer would become a a traveling tribute to love. And I started carrying pens. And so when I met people, I said, well, do you have a name to add to to my trailer? It could be of a loved one who has died. It could be your name. Write a message of love, whatever it is. And so 
it was on this day that I decided to start doing that. And now um, I have thousands of names on my room. Mm-hmm. And I made a post in one of my widows groups the other day with a picture of my trailer. I call her Pink Magic. It's <laughs> on her saying, would you like me to add your person's name? I now have 2,500 new names to add to my rig. 2,500. Yes. And my name is on there, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> true labor of love, Tiffany. I cannot tell you because this is going to take time. And then I take pictures of their names and I post them on my Happily Homeless page so that the people can see them. And, and people write to me, you know, widows write to me and they say, I showed that picture of the, of, to my kids of their dad's name on your trailer. My husband was a, a long distance trucker and um, and I feel like he's still traveling out there on the road with you. Um, my daughter always wanted to travel the United States. I'm from Australia. Could you put her name on your trailer oh. and she will travel with you? It's bringing, it's, it's about the love. I don't know how else to do this life yeah. other than to keep opening my heart at a time when it would have been so tempting to just shut down. Yeah. But Chuck loved me too much for that. And there is too much love in my heart to shut down. And so I, since he wasn't and isn't around for me to give that love to, I have to be able to, to show it somehow and to invite it in. And so it's never enough because it's not him, but it has to be enough. And it is in some ways yeah. that all of these people, they send me the names of all of their loved ones from around the world and around this entire country. Mm-hmm. And all of that love is traveling with me that is reflected in the names that are on my trailer. Do you feel that oh. as you're driving? Do you feel oh, that Jesus. love? Tiffany, it's like when I look in my side view mirror and I can only see some of the names that are on the, the left front of my rig because they're front, back, and sides. I, I'm, I'm almost, it, it's almost shocking that my my trailer doesn't radiate beams of light yeah. from all sides as I drive down the road. That's how powerful it is. Absolutely. It's and I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone ever. And so the love that is coming out of this trailer and out of this journey that you're on has now led you to create another. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know where to go with this one because I'm so excited for it to be done. It was a little over a year ago. So along the way, one of the other things that I needed to do, initially I had Chuck's life insurance. A lot of people struggle with spending that and it's, oh, you know, there's a lot of emotional components to spending life insurance. I knew that Chuck got it because he wanted me to have it. And I used his life insurance to buy my car and my rig and to support myself on the road for the first three years. And then I knew I had to find a way to support myself. So I started work camping, which is seasonal jobs that you take, you know, seasonal temporary jobs that you take. And God, there's a whole life out here that I never realized existed and how people live. It's not always in a house with a fence and two cars and, you know, a nine to five job. So one of the places I worked at, um, regularly for four summers was at an opera camp in the Ozark Mountains in um, in Arkansas, which was an amazing experience. And I was the groundskeeper, which I'd never been before, but I thought, well, fuck, I'm just going to go and do this. <laughs> yep. So I did. <laughs> so, um, but I remember as I left there, uh, I didn't work there last summer because of the pandemic, but the summer that I left before that, I thought, you know what, now it's time for me to make a documentary about my odyssey of love. 
And I approached that in the same way that I've approached everything else. I had no freaking clue how to do it, how to make it happen, how to pay for it, none of it. What I did resolve was with whatever money I had left, it's now time to commit myself fully to doing this odyssey of love. So I will spend every penny I have left to make this documentary. And I came to Arizona after the opera camp and I just happened to meet a young woman who was a photographer doing a photo shoot. And I told her my story about my odyssey of love. And I said, geez, you know, I've kind of been thinking about making a documentary. Have you ever made a documentary? And she said, no, I never have, but I have a partner who's a videographer. And, um, you know, we just started talking and um, now we're almost finished filming. Yeah. We have one more day of filming to, to do. And it's, um, it's called an odyssey of love in pink. And yeah. I call it a loveumentary rather than a documentary. And uh, the uh, tentative release date is April 21st of 2021, which will be Chuck's anniversary date. Mm-hmm. And the trailer has been out for a little bit. Yes. And, and when you releasing it, you brain. are. Yes. Oh, it is stunning. It is stunning. Thank you. Did you like it? Did it affect? Did it make you cry? Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Job is done. <laughs> Job is done. If the trailer is any indication, my goodness, it's going to be a tearjerker in the good way yes. because of the love, not the grief. Yes. Of course it's sad, but it's just, I don't know. It's just the love that radiates from, from you and from Chuck and, and just the, the love that you guys shared while he was here and while, and now even, and I know yes. that he is with you all of the time. And you even said that Yes. When, when we've worked together on a couple of mm -hmm. things that, and I even have a card here that you sent me mm -hmm. and part of it says, I firmly believe that you are one of the markers that Chuck left for me along the way. Yes. Because here's the thing, uh, early on, uh, when I'd gone back to New Jersey right after he died, um, and I was there for his memorial service, I went to a meeting, a women's circle, and I met a young woman there. Um, we had talked a little bit in the circle about, you know, different dreams that we had realized. And um, I had talked about how, just very briefly about how Chuck and I had really lived a dream of traveling, you know, together for our last four years and that he had died. No other information than that. And this woman came up to me afterwards and said, um, I have a message for you from Chuck, if I, if, you know, if it's okay if I tell you. And she's what I would call an intuitive and, uh, and she said to me, um, Chuck wants me to tell you that he has, um, he wouldn't leave you without a map. Now, mind you, he was um, a long range planner and his, uh, his nickname in the Air Force when he flew on the 141s was Pathfinder. And so um, she said, he wants me to tell you he wouldn't leave you without a map. And he wants you to know that he has left you markers along the way, both physical and metaphysical. And he wants you to be aware of them and to look for them. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said that. And the other side of that, Tiffany, is that when I was at the opera camp my last summer, there was a young woman there that I became friends with who was a violinist in our, um, in our orchestra. And she, she loved hearing stories about me and Chuck and our love story. And 
I'm talking relationships and all that. And she said to me one day, you know, Allison, has it ever occurred to you that the people you meet along the way, maybe you're leaving markers for Chuck to find you. Mm-hmm. And I never thought of it in that perspective. And I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> yeah. Ever since then, I realized it's kind of a joint effort between me and Chuck. Yep. Um, he's, however, like, I don't believe in heaven and hell and I don't feel him around me. But as I traveled last month to Connecticut and I didn't take my trailer, just my car, but as I was going through Northwest Texas on a road that Chuck and I had traveled many, many a time, and I started getting kind of melancholy and just feeling the pain and all of that. But then, bam, all of a sudden, I was just infused and suffused with this feeling of love. And I knew it came directly from Chuck. It was his love. And it's like this whole thing just immersed me. And it just let me know it more than I ever have before. And I felt it. I didn't just know it. I felt it. And so ever since that particular experience, it's it's almost as if I'm I'm not untouchable, and I know that, and I have to be careful out on the road. All life happens. There's real life. There's all the stuff. On the other hand, in some ways, I feel almost untouchable. And I had somebody, another woman, approach me early on in Northwest Florida, at a total a place. No, I wasn't wearing pink, and I didn't have you know my trailer around me and all that. And she came up to me kind of in a very hesitant way. And she said, do you mind if I tell you something? And I said, no, of course. Um, what is it? And she said, sometimes I can see things. And she wasn't some crazy, you know, wackadoodle. Yeah. She just said, sometimes I can see things, but it can make people uncomfortable. So I don't speak about it too often. But she said, I'm seeing some things around you. Do you mind if I tell you? So I said, go for it. And she said, I don't know if you're aware of this. But you, I see that you are surrounded by so many angels that I cannot count them. Whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing it. Just keep going. You are protected. And I think back to those things. Love will not protect me from, you know, horrible things that can happen. But in the midst of that, it's almost as if I'm untouchable because in a totally non-goofy way, I believe so strongly in love only because I lived it. I received it and I gave it. And when Chuck died, I continued giving it, even though I wanted to shut down. And I can I continued receiving it because I made myself vulnerable. And that has allowed people to be, it's allowed me to recognize the people who have been put into my life. And it's also brought people into my life, like Emily and Blake, who are my team, who are helping me make a documentary. I don't know how to do this. I'm not a Hollywood person. Like, who makes documentaries unless they are like somebody? (laughs) But I'm doing it. And it's powerful. And it's as you say, Tiffany, there will be tears, but they will be tears because people will recognize and really see and know how powerful love is that it can drive all of this. I'm not in charge of this. I've always known that love is in charge of this. I'm just literally the driver and I go where my heart leads me. And I, I, I trust my heart to take me where I need to go because my widow fog, brain fog, grief fog has, you know, it's still, it still works in me. 
And so I didn't trust my mind so much, but in my brain, but I do trust my heart because my heart had me in a beautiful place for 24 years. And if I just keep allowing my heart to stay open, it's going to lead me to wherever love is. And, and if I break down on the road, which I've done, which is another thing that people are so, oh my God, what happens if I break down? Well, I have. And what I've learned to do is that the minute I hit the, um, the latch on my door to open my car door to get out and see what's wrong, I start saying to myself, my mantra, look for the love, look for the love, look for the love, only allow love, just bring in the love. And, um, and that's what I have found. And I know it's very intense. I am crying again. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am like, oh, this is unbelievable. I am so grateful for the day that you were put in that group with me and you. that you shared your story that day and, and that I reached out to you. You were looking for um, help. Oh with, my God, help. With <laughs> some tech help. And I was like, hey, Allison, I can help you out there. And uh, that's what I mean. Like the guardian angels that I have and my, my angel team knows when I need to do the things that I need to do to yeah. reach out to the people that I, I yep. need to be reaching out to. And you are one of them. And I'm just so blessed and grateful and I'm just emotional right now. It works both ways, Tiffany. You know that, right? It's I truly do believe that you are one of the people put in my way because this there's so many parts of this I don't know how to do because it requires technical assistant and assistance, and I do, I don't know that stuff. And there's things that I want to do with my Odyssey of Love, and so this my loveumentary is one thing, but you know, I'm starting a podcast, which you've been able to help me with. And, and so that's like, I'm going to refocus on that next week. And, and I want to, um, I want to do one-on-one, -on -one, uh, not only, uh, uh, well, I want to do a support for grievers. And I actually, I have my first client who found me, I didn't even go looking. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to do it under the, um, because I always, I have, an irreverent sense of humor, a dark sense of humor. And I try to be lighthearted about stuff that is really very intense. And so I, I'm going to be calling myself, I am calling myself the goddess of grief. And that's where I will companion people, grief support, and also the goddess of love, where I will talk about relationships and healthy relationships and how to make life matter. And so all of these things require stuff with technology that I just don't know how to do there's I have a learning curve and so um I meant what I wrote in that card Tiffany that you are one of the markers because yeah. you've gotten me further than I than I was yeah. You know? yeah and it's been an absolute pleasure helping you figure out all of this stuff so that your message can get out to as many people as possible and if that means helping you with any tech stuff you know, I'm always here for you. So I love that. I never used to know people who knew shit. <laughs> <laughs> and now you could teach me how to back up a rig. <laughs> I, I could, I actually, I actually probably could. Yeah, you and, could. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, I recognize what in, internally in my heart when it's time to go to the next phase of my odyssey of love. Yeah. And 
especially now with this pandemic and just everything that's going on around the world and in our country, you know, I, I have to uh, rethink, you know, and pivot. How am I going to release my, my love documentary and where, because it's all, for me, it's always been about hugging people, giving hugs and receiving hugs. And of course, now I haven't been able to do that. And it's, it really, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's done its job on me. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to re shift things and all of that. But so I'm having to shift how to do all of this, like everybody else is, right, about how to live life. Um, but the one thing I do know is that uh, I don't have to have any stress about it because I just know if I keep my heart open and listen to it and tune into it, that the people will be put in my path who will help me find my way. Yep. And so I do that, you know, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep letting love lead the way and, and keep letting the love shine on. Um, Cause I mean, and it maybe sounds very altruistic and all that, but I have to, because um, if I don't, then I can't bear living without Chuck. It's mm -hmm. just too hard. And mm -hmm. so um, reaching out to people and having them reach back to me and um, maybe just, I don't know, in, not even inspiring people, but just letting them know that, yeah, real love does exist. True love does exist. Love exists. Love whatever the exists. Yeah. And we, we have to make that our default because we are in a, um, we're just in such a precarious position individually and collectively. And um, there's a lot of, it's not even work. There's a lot of cherishing and nurturing that has to be done. Yeah, and at this time of what's going on in the world, if we needed anything in this world right now, it's just more love to get, get through this all together. And so yeah. this message is something that everybody needs right now in their life is just focus on the love. God help us. We really, we truly do need it. And um, I'm I'm all about changing the language and, and how we approach things. You know, it's my odyssey of love is not just about widowhood. And I say just, I mean, that's such a huge thing. And, um, you know, it's expanded, you know, it's, it's any relationship and grief about any relationship, but it's not truly about grief at all. It is truly about love because every time somebody grieves, they're grieving because they love. Exactly. That's the bottom line. It's about love. And I want to change the language and encourage people to, to speak up and talk about things more openly. And, you know, don't shut down just because somebody is uncomfortable because you're sad or you're crying. It's like, just, man, just let those freaking tears out because that's what's real. And that's, that's what makes you stronger ultimately. And so if I can change the language and if I can be um, just a, a, a life changer in any way, you know, for this world, it's, um, it's a responsibility that I bear very gladly. You know, um, I, I had what I had with Chuck and I'm, I'm living our love for both of us now. And I'll do that in, in any way that I can just living the rest of my life. However long that might be, I, I have to default to love. And the other day I was just wondering, you know, like, you know, I was just kind of going down that dark hole, you know, like, what's the point in the pandemic? And, you know, I can't be out on the road and so much, and who knows when I'll be able to safely be out there because I'm stationary for the moment. And just all of the uncertainty that everybody else is going through. 
And I thought, what's the point? But you know what the point is? The point is love yeah. for me. Right. And so I look for um, whether I'm, I'm looking for music that day to listen to and post on my Happily Homeless page about love. Um, Bob Marley is always good for that. Or, you know, yep. this poetry about love, um, the strength of love, the power of love, whatever it is, I look for that for myself also. And then if people along the way, you know, the community of people that I've been able to um, create for myself who give to me so freely as I give to them, um, then you know what? I've already, I've got my legacy in place. I'm good and I'm just going to keep on suiting up and showing up with as much love as possible and in as much pink as possible <laughs> and be my charming self, making people cry all along the way. <laughs> cry and laugh. and uh. <laughs> So where can people find you on the World Wide Web? On the, on the, uh, interweb as my son calls it uh i on facebook i have my page called happily homeless um my website is an odysseyoflove.com and there's a backstory there and i have a lot of the different services that i'm going to be offering from now on and uh, my podcast is called an odyssey of love and also my instagram is an odyssey of love and uh i i i kind of bolt back and forth between with energy levels as to posting on all of them. I know it's, it's I a never ending battle. <laughs> I, I'd like to say I'm really steady and consistent. Um, I'm probably most consistent on my happily homeless page. And then with writing my blog, but there's a link to it on my um, uh, website and odysseyoflove.com. I will so. definitely post all of those on the show notes for sure, because you all need to go and check out Allison and her Odyssey of Love and her rig. And she sent me a magnet that I have in my office and yes. of her rig. And it's just amazing. I'm, I do have those magnets available if anybody um, for purchase too. I still have more and I'm going to order more. Are you? Okay. I'll take a picture of it for sure. And I'll, yes. it'll go on, uh, on the podcast for sure. Oh, that's great. I, you know, because it's important. That's why I came up with the whole magnet thing. It's, it's an exact replica of my trailer. It's important I thought for people to not only see a picture of the name on my rig, but to be able to have something tangible in front of them for your fridge or whatever it might be with their person's name on it, just looking like it does on my rig. It just brings it home for them even more so. It's in my office and I see it every single day. I love that, Tiffany. Yeah. And I, it just reminds me of you, obviously, every time and just um, of your journey and that it's all about the love. So I am so grateful that you spent this time with me and with my listeners. And I just know that it is going to just be so inspirational for a lot of people to remember the love through the grief. Absolutely. You've, um, there's not much I'm, I struggle with the word gratitude a lot since Chuck died. Um, and naming things that I'm grateful for. But what I will say, Tiffany, is that um, I've just been, I'm blessed with the power of vulnerability that lets me keep my heart open mm -hmm. and talking to people and reaching out to people and then them reaching out to me. So you have been, a, um, you're one of my, really the highest compliment I can say really is that you are one of my markers that Chuck left for me. And, and I, I, I actually feel like I was 
actually. Yes. And um, because I, I was just drawn to you immediately. And that happens for a reason, right? So I believe so. I believe Chuck would call it synchronicity. Absolutely. That is exactly what it was. well thank you again for for taking the time with me and um yeah i will definitely be keeping an eye out for your lovumentary and i will be promoting the heck out of that thing so everybody just reach out to me and i will reach back yes you will thank you so much thank you tiffany my love to you wow right oh my gosh holy smokes the tears were flowing pretty much the whole time Allison told her story. Allison, you inspire me every day, and I'm grateful beyond words that Chuck found me to be one of your markers. I knew there was a divine reason I reached out to you to help that day. It was Chuck's love for you that made that happen. I can't wait for the day that your lovumentary is out in the world so everyone can see and feel what is the most important thing in this world. And it's what we are all here for, and that is love. Thank you for sharing your hard, beautiful journey. Please be sure and check out the links in my posts and show notes to learn more about Allison and to watch the trailer of her lovumentary. You will fall even more in love with her, Odyssey of Love. Until next time, be kind and stay well.